Welcome to the Bible Conversation Podcast with Chris, Dan, and Dylan. Let's have a conversation. Welcome to another episode of Bible Conversations. We are happy to be with a, a great brother in Christ um, today and, and looking forward to a great conversation. Um, it's uh, Dr. Kirk Brothers, the president of Heritage Christian University. And, and uh, Dr. Brothers and I uh, actually go way back to Fried Hardman days. He was my professor in a couple of classes there. And, um, and actually, uh, right now, Chris is taking an online class with Heritage Christian University that's uh, being taught by Dr. Brothers. And so um, we have some great connections uh, with um, Brother Brothers, and we're excited for the conversation that will take place today. Um, the thing that we're wanting to talk about is, is really the problem of suffering. And I know that's a, that's a huge bubble that in, incorporates so many things in it. Um, but before we really dig into this super deep talk, topic, um, Dr. Brothers, I wanted to give you a chance to, to introduce yourself to our listeners and, and let everyone know who you are. Well, it's great to be with you guys. Uh, there's a couple of thoughts on this. Uh, first of all, there's part of me like that uh, you've heard me in class and you still want to hang out with me. Uh, <laughs> and there's a part of me thinking, oh, is this payback? They're getting payback. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I'm excited about us spending some time together. And I work at Heritage Christian University. I spent 23 years in local work in various congregations, uh, mostly in preaching, but also have a background in youth ministry and have a love for both and then spent eight years at Freed Hardeman and have been at Heritage Christian for three years. And so I'm just excited to spend some time with you guys. I'm excited about what you're doing in the kingdom. And I'm not just saying this to be nice. You're two of the best students I've had in class. And so uh, I'm grateful for us to have some time to study together. And, and in a classroom, uh, you may have one who's assigned as a professor and some who are assigned as students, but the reality, if, if things work like they should in an educational environment, it's really just a, a, a room full of learners who are learning from each other. And so I'm looking forward to us learning from studying together. Yeah. All right. Well, Chris, do you want to uh, begin with just some, some questions to get the ball rolling in this conversation? Yeah. So I don't want you to feel obligated to answer all of these questions at once, uh, but I think there's going to be a general underlying principle in all of these. And so as we look back at, at all of 2020, uh, really with the exception of January and February, uh, and then we look at what, hap- what has happened in 2021, you know, in Texas, we've had flooding uh, at, our, at our church building, actually. Uh, there have been people who were without power for a couple of days here last week. Uh, there's been losses of life due to the virus uh, throughout all of last year up to now. And, you know, life has just thrown us curveball after curveball after curveball after curveball. I mean, we had we had something called murder hornets, you know, if you guys remember that. So, I mean, just the the sheer amount of things that have hit us in, in the last 12 to 14 months. And the question that I think a lot of people are curious about and wondering about is, well, how does God allow these things to happen? You know, why does God allow all of this suffering? Why does God allow this pain and you know all these evil things that are going on? Why, why does God allow this? So I'll, I'll just kind of open that up there because I think that is the, really the, the crux of the question, the crux of the issue. So take it away. Uh, I would, I guess, 
there are several things we need to look at. Uh, kind of sometimes you have to back up and then come back to the question. First of all, I would say God did create a place that is like what you describe, where there's no suffering and no bad things happen. You just have to die to get there. Um, <laughs> Revelation is, is describes uh, the eternal realm and heavenly Jerusalem as a place where no evil thing can go. So um, there is a place where what has happened in the last year cannot happen. What we're left with is, okay, but that's great, but we're not there. We're in this realm, and in this realm, there's evil and suffering. Uh, a couple of things that I think help us anytime we're wrestling with what goes on in the world is it starts with the nature of God. God is who he is and cannot be other than who and what he is. And a couple of things that are important, there are a number of attributes of God, but two key attributes involved in God's relationship to human beings are that God is holy and that God is loving. I had a friend, Larry Rector, who passed away a few years ago. He was a, a dentist who lived in Columbia, Tennessee, and his office was in Lewisburg, Tennessee. And there were a group of us that would get together on Tuesday mornings for a Bible study. And in my Bible, I have several Larray quotes where he would make comments in our study while we were looking at something, and I would jot it down. One of those quotes that he shared with us is that nothing determines who you are so much as your view of God. How you understand, how I understand God and how I define his attributes determines everything else I do. For example, if I believe that God is sovereign and how I, de how I define sovereignty will impact everything else I believe religiously and how I conduct my life. And so if I believe sovereignty means God causes everything, then I'm going to go down one road. If I believe by sovereignty, God controls everything, then I'm going to go down another road. I'm going to just tell you, I'll let the cat out of the bag. I go down the God that sovereignty means God controls, not that God causes every individual thing in the world. But I, I take say that to get back to the idea that kind of wrestling with who God is, is where we start with any real discussion about why things exist the way they are in the world, if we believe that God created the world. So I, I begin with that presupposition. And I want you to think about these two concepts of holiness and love before we come back to the creation and the why of it. If you look in Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 2, verse 1 says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the sons of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. That is a very, very important phrase and statement made in the book of Leviticus. It's, if you will, the theme of the book of Leviticus. As he is describing the priest system, as he is describing the sacrificial system, etc., it all centers on the holiness of God. Why does he want it done this way? Because God is holy and we must be holy. And so he is calling Israel, in this case, in the Old Testament, to be holy because God is holy. 
And so a key attribute of God that is displayed in his relation with human beings is that God is holy. There is an ontological holiness to God. In other words, it's a part of his essence. In other words, the word holy has the idea of being other, unique, or set apart. So he is holy in the sense that he's other, unique, and set apart. There's nothing else like him. But there's also implied in that an ethical holiness, that he's separate from everything sinful and morally evil, that God cannot, he not only does not tempt to do evil, but can himself not be tempted to do evil. And then, so you have holiness. And the positive side of that, God is holy, means that he has absolute moral perfection and purity, that he's unconditionally upright in his essence and his actions. That's a quote from Dr. Jack Cottrell. The negative side of that is that um, God has perfect freedom from all sin and has absolute opposition to it and total hatred of all that is sinful and evil. So God is holy and his justice flows out of his holiness. Also, we find in 1 John chapter 4, you know, part of the problem in the 1 John is that false teachers had caused people to question their salvation, to question the source of their information about God, because they had apparently these new teachers that had new information. You need to know this to truly know God and be right with God, to be enlightened. And so what he's talking about in the book is largely you know, who are the right sources and who are the wrong sources for our information? But also, can we have some confidence in our salvation? And because the false teachers had created doubt. And so he, he gives some tests. How do I know I know God? How do I know I'm right with God? And a theme in the book that comes up more than one occasion is the idea of being born of God. Here's how you know you're born of God. And basically he says, how do I know I'm born of God? Well, do I act like it? Okay, if, if, if his DNA is in me, then I should see attributes of him in me. And so in chapter four, verse eight, it says, the one who does not love does not know God for God is love. In verse 16, we have come to know and believe the love which God has for us. God is love. The one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. So one of the ways he says we know we're born of God is if we live out love. Why? Because love is an attribute of God. Okay, he doesn't say love is God. He says God is love. There's a difference between those two perspectives. But basically, he says in Leviticus, God says, I am holy, so be holy. In 1 John, John says of God that God is love. Why do those things matter? Because everything God does in expressing himself and his relationship with creation, even the creation of creation, and his relationship with the creation and the relationship with humanity in particular flows out of his holiness or his love. It is embodied in a statement that is found in Romans chapter 11 and verse 22. Behold then the kindness and severity of God to those who fail severity, but to you God's kindness if you continue in his kindness, otherwise you will also be cut off. As you think about that, he is saying to the 
Christians in the city of Rome that God's nature includes both kindness and severity, love and holiness. His kindness, his graciousness, his mercy, they flow out of his love. His severity, his justice, his holding evildoers accountable flows out of his holiness. So I think that helps us to start with as we think through how and why God does things. But then ultimately, we've got to transition to how did God make the world? Because that is where we're beginning to specifically get to the issue of why does suffering exist? If God is sovereign, if God is all-powerful, and it's interesting, Scripture doesn't try to prove the existence of God. It assumes the existence of God. It simply begins by saying the God who is, assuming the audience agrees there has to be some higher power, some creator. Basically, the Bible doesn't try to prove he exists. The Bible tries to introduce the God that it assumes human beings will know exists by the creator, the, the fact the creation declares the glory of God. You might think of Romans 1. And so in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. So as we look at creation, God made the creation out of nothing. It was a free-willed act of God. And God made both the spiritual and the material realms. Um, John 1, of course, talking there about God the Son, whom John referred to as the Logos. Logos was the name that uh, John attached to Jesus pre-incarnation. Jesus was the name he was given when he became a human being. Uh, as the angel said in Matthew 1, you shall call him his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. It was a, a description of his purpose here as a, a human being because the name Jesus coming from the Greek word Jesus, uh, Yeshua would be his uh, Hebrew name, our Old Testament English name Joshua, uh, means that Yahweh saves or salvation is of Yahweh. So basically what he says is you shall call him Yahweh saves because he will save. And so it was a statement of his purpose, but John reminds us of the eternal nature of Jesus in the beginning was the Logos. Okay, and that's the word John used to describe the fact that he is an eternal being that pre-existed this human form, which went by the name of Jesus. In Romans chapter 4 and verse 17, he says, Even God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. Hebrews 11.3, By faith we understand the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. So God made something from nothing. And as the creator, he has all authority over his creation. If you're an artist, paint what you want, sculpt what you want, carve what you want. Psalm 115 verse 3 says, But our God is in the heaven. He does whatever he pleases. In Revelation 4.11, worthy of you, our Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and because of your will, they exist. 
And his creation includes not only the physical realm, but the spiritual realm. In Colossians 1.15, he is the image of the invisible God. Here talking of Christ, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him. So then everything in existence flows out of the reality that God made all things. If God made all things, then he, he as creator becomes the basis of worship and he becomes the basic, basics, basis of all ethics if he is the creator. It means he has all authority over everything, is worthy of praise, and he determines what are going to be the morally right things to do in the world that he created. It means he's the source of all truth, and it means the world and humanity has a purpose that flows out of God. But that doesn't answer our, answer our question of suffering. But I want us to come back up and think about, okay, if God is the creator, and it's his choice on how he's going to create how did he choose to create? Okay, when God made the world, he had choices he could make. He could have made this physical world like what seems to be the reality in the eternal realm, which lies beyond death. He chose to make the world he made the way he made it for very specific reasons. All right, when God made the world, if God is a loving God. How would love express itself in a creation? I want you to think about that. And I, I think that's the, the point that we come back to. It, looking at the character of God, the love is, I think, the really big one. Because the question you just asked, how would a loving God express himself? And my answer, and I might be jumping a little bit further down the road than, than you're looking for, but would be free will. He gives us the option of whether we want to, to choose him or not. Um, and so th that's how love expresses it, itself and, and the holiness and severity of God that comes along with that, as you mentioned, um, is the part of God when we don't choose to love him. Well, he's still holy. He, he can't be with sin. Um, and so uh, bringing in free will, maybe jumping further than, than you're expecting to, but, but I think that's, that's how a loving God shows us. He loves us. I, you know, I'll, I'll jump in real quick. And, you know, as, as you were talking, right. I, one, I hope that all the, all of our listeners were, were listening to that because that was a phenomenal, uh, I guess, exposition of the creation of the world, the, the, characteristics of God and, and how it is going to relate to our topic today. Um, but as you were talking at the very end there, you know, you said, well, if God is the creator of all things, then he is truth. He is, uh, you know, he, he is the, the basis of our ethics. He is love. He is all of these things. Well, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. If he is the creator of all things, then surely he is also the creator of pestilence. He is also the creator of evil. He is also the creator of, of, of just suffering. Right. And so, so how, how is, how is that loving? How does that bring us to the idea that, 
you know, as, as, as Christians, we believe that God does not cause evil, right? So how, how do we, how do we reconcile those two views? We need to back up to the, the creation itself. Okay. When God made the world, he did, he had a fundamental choice. Was he going to just create a world to look at? Or was he going to create creatures with whom he could interact? What would be the nature of love? Love creates, love gives, love seeks relationships, love seeks opportunities to express itself. And so God chose to make a world that would not be just a painting he could look at. You know, he could just make the world with a bunch of animals and I'll just watch them run around. He chose to make creatures that in some sense reflected him, i.e. the image language of Genesis 1 and 2 that's carried on throughout Scripture. Yeah, a little example to go along with that. It brings out the child in me. But when I play with my Legos when I was growing up, I didn't want to just build something that you set on a shelf. That was like, to me, I was like, no, that's, that's what adults do is just put things on their shelves. I wanted to build something that I could play with and interact with and, and my creativity could flow through. And I think it's the, the same way with, with God. He didn't want to build something that, that he set on a shelf. It's the, the things that he can interact with. That, that's love. That's relationships. So I, I, just, I was thinking of that example as you were talking, but keep going. <laughs> yeah, I think the key to the Bible is the statement in John three sixteen: God so loved the world. Yeah. Okay. I think that not only embodies what he did in Jesus, it embodies what he's doing in all of creation. God created out of love and then through Jesus recreated out of love. And so when he makes the world, if he as one who loves wants to create creatures who have some ability to interact with him and have a relationship with him, then he's got to make a choice. You know, first of all, when God made the world, was he making the world because he needed something? Was he, did he, did he, was he missing worshipers? Did he have, did he not have any enough beings to bow down to him? Was he lonely? Did he feel unloved? You can look at Job 38, 7, uh, where it talks about the sons of God being present at the creation of the world. They were beings that existed prior to our existence. You've got uh, John 17, where the Logos or God, the son who came to be known as Jesus said, you loved me before the world began. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got Acts 17, 24 and 25, where it basically says God doesn't need anything from us. If we get, if, if he gave us everything, then anything we give back to him is just returning his property. Yeah. What I'm trying to make is God didn't make the world because he needed anything. He wasn't uh, unloved. He wasn't unadored. He wasn't alone. He didn't need anything. But it totally fits for a God who loves to express himself by creating, okay, just as people in love uh, choose to have children. It's just innate in the nature of love to express itself and, and get, look for opportunities to show that love. Now, when he chooses then to create a world with creatures who can interact with him, he has to decide what, what laws are going to govern that world. And that, first of all, is his choice. He's the creator. Okay, he is the modeler. And so I, as the clay, don't tell him how to do it. I have to adjust to what he made and respond to that. And so if he want, okay, he could have made a world in which all creatures, all the human beings had to love him. He basically could have created robots or slaves. 
But the ultimate expression of love doesn't come from a creature that is programmed to like you or do what you want. It doesn't come from a creature that is forced to do what you want. But it comes from a free-willed being who can choose to love you or not to love you. Biblically speaking, it looks like God gave the human beings freedom to choose. Okay, there would be consequences. I think it's embodied in the trees of the garden. Okay, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. He basically said, don't eat this tree or here will be the consequences. But he gave them the freedom to choose. Why might a loving God have done that? And why might then there have been consequences for choosing wrong? Because of his holiness and love. The choice came out of his love. The consequences came out of his holiness, righteousness, and justice. And so if God is going to create a world with beings who have the ability to choose and who can choose to love him, and therefore once we choose him, then it's a real choice. We've not been coerced or forced or programmed. Then there has to be an alternative. Okay, if you say, Kirk, choose whatever candy you want, but all we have is Snickers. I have no choice. There has to be a Milky Way, a Three Musketeers. There has to be a choice. And so if the choice is God, and I'm going to have an alternative, then the, if God, if the choice is God and good, then the alternative has to be what is not God and not good. So ironically, the allowance of choice, the allowance of the bringing into evil, God allowed the conditions to exist for evil to be introduced. What is evil? It is the opposite of what is God and good. If we choose what is God and good, we don't have evil. So evil at its heart is the freedom. It is a choice against God and good that came because we were given the freedom to do so, which God did not have to do. But it's what he chose to do. And he has the right as creator to do that in his creation. And ironically, that evil, which comes as a result of that choice, the choice probably came from the loving nature of God and a desire not to force creatures that he made to love him. Yeah. And, him the options. And, and along that note, that that's why I, I'm glad you brought up the garden of Eden. Um, Cause what I hear so often is, well, why didn't God, why did God put those trees in front of them? It, it almost seems as if, as if it's a temptation that, that he put the option for them to, to bring, evil and, and sin into the world, but exactly what you're saying about um, slaves and robots is the, if the, there's not something else, then they really don't have a choice. If God created them, put them in the garden of Eden in a, it was a perfect environment with no choice of anything else to do, but to serve God that goes against his love. Right. Yeah. Well, and Adam and Eve had one job right? Like they were literally given one command uh, and, and they, they, they messed that up. But I think of James chapter one, verses 12 through 15, blessed is the man who endures temptation. 
when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And I think that really encompasses all of what we have talked about so far, right? The idea that God loves us, right? And if we choose God, not only will we receive a crown of life, right? But we'll be saved from all of the, the evil and things that are going on. But if we are being tempted, it is not by God because he does not tempt. He cannot tempt. Uh, it is our own desires, right? It was Adam and Eve's own desire to take of the fruit in the tree in the middle of the garden, right? It is our own desire to choose to serve God or to choose to serve evil. It is our own desire. It is our choice to do these things. And I really think that is kind of the crux of the issue here is, you know, the, the idea of evil, pain and suffering, where does it come from? Well, it comes from us. It comes from our choices in this world. It comes from our lack of choosing to be right with God. Uh, and, and whether that is, uh, you know, from just our own individual lives or the world as a whole, I think that really is kind of the bottom line. You know, God has given us the ability to choose. And if we have that ability to choose, well, we're going to choose wrong at times. And that's what's going to bring evil into the world. Now, I want to kind of back up to a point because there's, there's a really important message that we can learn from the book of Job. Um, and I just kind of want to clarify what Chris is saying, just because you experience evil or suffering, that does not mean that you specifically have chosen wrong. That was kind of what Job's friends believed, right? Um, they, they were coming to him and they were like, Job, you must've messed up bad, dude. If you're going through all of this, what, what did you do? And, and that's not really the message that, the thing is, look at the life of Christ. He was perfect. He did nothing wrong, had no sin. Did Jesus suffer? Oh, absolutely. On, on the cross, he gave up his life and, and he suffered and died on the cross. Did, did he mess up to deserve that suffering? Absolutely not. Do When I experience suffering or evil, is it because of my mistakes? No, it's because of humanity mankind that's what we read in in genesis when we talk about the fall of man um that sin came into the world yeah i think it's important to recognize uh you know i kind of dealt with the big picture of why did the possibility exist i think the possibility exists uh, in part because god of how god created that he yeah. he opened the possibility out of love um Frankly, some of the suffering in our world exists because if you're going to create a world, you have to put laws of nature in place. Okay, so do you create a world with no gravity? Okay, how, how, do, how, does, that, how does that world function? How, how do we have a world without any gravity? Where, you know, if, if we're going to interact with each other and there's no way for us to stay connected to this planet, if there's no gravitational pull and we float off into space, Okay, there, there are all kinds of complications with that. So when you make a world, you build in laws that allow the creatures on it to, interfunct, uh, to interact with each other. But guess what? 
some of those laws which are set in place so human beings can function on that planet may lead to someone's death if they step off into the Grand Canyon. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so it goes back to God giving us choice. It goes back to the fact that when you create a world, you've got to put some laws of nature in place. It goes, it also back, goes to, back to the sovereignty of God and, and how he has authority over everything and, and controls everything, but doesn't cause everything. Well, and goes, and I think you hit on something there too. We've got to understand something changed in Genesis three. Mm -hmm. Okay. We know that for Adam, there seems to have been some increased toil in the soil, if you will, to produce food. It does, um, pain in childbirth doesn't seem to have started with the fall. It doesn't say you will have pain. It, your pain will be increased is, I think, the language that's used in Genesis. The point I'm trying to make from that is there was some kind of change in the world mm -hmm. in the aftermath of humanity's sin. And the, the created world we see in Genesis 1 and 2 is not exactly the same as the created world we see at the end of Genesis. And then you start having death. And I'm talking not just death. I'm talking murder comes into the picture next and four and five. In fact, one of the key phrases in chapter five is, and he died, and he died, and he died. And you've got brother killing brother. You've got this downward spiral of humanity until you get to Genesis chapter 11, from Genesis 3 to Genesis 11, it takes us from the pinnacle to the pit where human beings yeah. chose the wrong tree and they kept choosing and choosing and choosing till by the time you get to Genesis 11, when God made the world, he said, I want you to rule over creation and I want you to be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth. I created, I want you to procreate. I want you to fill the world with beings that can love each other and can love me. By the time we get to Genesis 11, they're not trying to live for God's glory and fill the earth. They are literally saying, let's build this for our, to make a name for ourselves is how they put it. So that what? So that we will not be scattered. That is actually the opposite of the mandate given by God. He said, be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth. So humanity has chosen a direction opposite of God. I say all that to say this, that part of what we see in the world is humanity's general choice. And so some of it is God gave us freedom of choice. Some of it is what we did with those choices. Some of it is the fact that if you're going to create the world, you've got to have some kind of laws of nature's nature that uh, guide that world. And with that, there will inherently come consequences. Yes, sometimes my bad things that happen in my life are from laws of nature. Sometimes bad things that happen in my life are because of my choices. If I choose to get drunk and end up running into a tree and being paralyzed, my choices impacted that. There are other things that came into play. The law of nature in the stability of a tree in relationship to a car. All of those things, there, there are multiple things that come into play. Sometimes it may be because of someone else's choices. Um, and so there are many factors. And the problem is I can't always go and say, well, I know this was because of. Yeah. Um, and so I do think the story of Job is insightful. I, I want to mention something in this. The problem that I don't know all of your lives, but I think one problem that the three of us have in talking about this is I don't know that we've been through real 
I don't know that we've been in a village that was completely wiped out where you've had seen around the world where evil men come in and rape and pillage and destroy. I don't, I've never lived in a village that has been decimated by AIDS. I haven't had multiple members of my family die. I mean, I've had grandparents to pass away and we all know there'll be an age when we'll all die. And, and we've had struggles. I've got a, a daughter with disabilities. And so we've been down that road with her, but I look around me and I realize that I have only touched the tip of the suffering iceberg. And even in the middle of COVID, you've got some folks saying, oh, it's been an opportunity to reconnect with my family. And I got to work at home. We got to spend time together. Well, I, I thank God for that for you. But I can line up many more people who lost their jobs, who lost their retirements, who lost their health and lost multiple friends and family members to this virus. And so I don't want to just nonchalantly say, hey, we all made a bad choice. And so your life is falling apart. I don't have an answer for every single pain in every single life. I know in general, it looks to me in scripture, how pain and suffering got into the world. I know that basically what scripture views is suffering is a chance to show whether my love and my faith is legit. I think that's a backstory of the book of Job. In the book of Job, basically God brags on Job. Chapters one and two, it's where we're able to see the backstory, okay, the behind scenes stuff of a play. And, and what we need to realize is that there's no evidence Job knew about chapters one and two, the behind the scenes stuff. Now, the parts that happened to him, of course he knew. But where God is bragging on Job in, in the presence of Satan, and Satan says, well, of course he likes you. You give him everything he wants. And so God allows him, and I think that's key there. God doesn't cause him, but does allow Satan freedoms. And Satan takes away what he has. So God says, you know, look at my servant Job. And Satan says, well, yeah, but, you know, you don't let anything bad happen to him. You give him everything he wants. You give him all the stuff he wants, and you keep him safe. Well, we took away stuff, but he's still safe. You haven't let anything personally happen to him. So God says, okay. Because what's at stake in the story of Job? I, I don't think Job is an everyday occurrence. All right. I, I don't believe that what happened to Job is something, I don't think God and Satan are still up there today. And then this is my perspective, but I don't see evidence that God and Satan just sit around every day and pick a new person and say, oh, well, let's destroy that person's life and see what happens. Okay. It looks to me like Job is a great example for all time, but what's at stake in that story and why I think the story was told is that both God and humanity they were being challenged. He was basically saying, God, you are not lovable and desirable enough to be loved and adored without stuff and safety. And then he's saying to the human beings, you are incapable of selflessly loving. You could only love a creator who gives you what you want and protects you. And so the story proceeds to determine whether Satan's accusations were accurate or not. Uh, will, you, will you love God for nothing? 
In fact, that was the, the statement of, the, of Satan. Does, does Job serve God for nothing? And his saying is, of course, he serves you for something. And so the book is going to prove whether or not God is lovable in and of himself without any stuff in safety. And it is designed to prove whether or not human beings are capable of selfless love. And you'll notice at the end of the book, God never explains to Job why it happened. Yeah. Yeah. So I've got, I've got two thoughts here. Uh, first thought kind of going really on this idea of, of really, we'll just go, go ahead and read from it. James chapter one, verses two through four, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, let patience have its perfect work. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. The idea that the, the sufferings, the trials that we go through should make us better, should cause us. Uh, to have glory in the fact that, like you were mentioning uh, way earlier in, the, in, in this podcast, that there is a place for us that is perfect, right? And so the, the sufferings and the trials that we go through now uh, are, are simply little bumps in the road, right? Uh, the other thing I kind of want to talk about is you, know, you had mentioned that, uh, you know, we haven't gone through real suffering, right? We haven't gone and lived in a village where the entire village was wiped out. And uh, I, I kind of struggle with that a little bit because um, I know that, you know, in my life there, there definitely has been suffering, you know, I've had pain. Um, and I think I would, not, I, I am careful, at least I try to be um, not saying you're not, but I try to be careful of negating somebody else's suffering because it may not be the worst suffering or negating somebody else's pain because it may not be the worst pain. And I don't want any listeners today you know, who, who are suffering, whether it's emotionally, mentally, uh, whatever the case may be to feel like, because they haven't experienced, um, you know, the, the worst kind of suffering that they're suffering is invalid. And I think, I don't know, I just, I just kind of wanted to, I guess, address that for the listeners, for myself, for everybody that, you know, just because we haven't experienced you know, the loss of a child, or we haven't experienced the death of a village does not mean that our suffering does not matter. Um, I would strongly agree. All suffering matters. Yeah. But uh, so, yeah, I absolutely would say all suffering matters. But when I, I have to, we have to be very careful about just flippantly saying it's because we made bad choices and God loves us because for a mother who's lost all her children. Yeah. Someone who's lost everybody in their family. They're like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Are you really, are you really, does that make sense? Um, yeah, no, that, that makes sense. And so you know, I just, don't, I want us to be very careful. Yes. And I think earlier I, I had said something, Dylan, thank you for, for clarifying what I was saying earlier. Definitely. I'm not saying, you know, if we, you know, if we don't fully stop at a stop sign, right. We make that mistake, then we're going to have pain and suffering. Right. Like it's not that every one of our actions are going to lead to that. And um, not even that, if something bad does happen, that it's because of something that we've done, right? Like that's, uh, that, that goes against what Jesus taught, uh, you know, with, with why is this man blind, right? Well, he's been blind from his youth so that the glory of God can be shown. It wasn't because him or his parents did anything bad. Uh, so, so there, there is suffering that happens in this world that is not necessarily caused by actions, uh, at least immediate actions, right? But when you go back again to Adam and Eve in the garden, right? They were living in a perfect uh, place. Garden of Eden was perfect, but because 
they sinned, death entered the world, right? Not only the death of themselves and the, and the spiritual death of being separated from God, but God actually gave them animal skins. It was the first time death was seen, you know, in, in the world. And from there, sin has been rampant in our world and, and suffering has been rampant in our world. And it's not necessarily the cause of anybody's particular action, but it is the cause of sin. Um, and so, you know, it, it is, it's difficult, like you're saying to, you know, somebody is, is miscarried, right? Well, how do you, how is that? How do you comfort somebody with that? You know, why did that happen? Well, we don't know, right? We, we, we can't, can't give a, a good answer for that. And it, and it's awful and it's terrible and we don't wish it on anybody. But, um, I think the, the, the general consensus, my understanding is that sin is what causes, uh, evil pain and suffering. And, and whether that is in your personal life, whether that's from Adam and Eve, just the, the general sin, uh, that is in this world is, is the cause of it. So, um, I yeah. hope that's clear. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I think you're right. You know, we uh, we are not saying that uh, individual pain doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, I just really want us to be conscious of there are some people that have dealt with unimaginable pain. Yes. I have not dealt with what Job has, but there are people in the earth. There are people right now who may be listening to this podcast who've been a lot closer to Job than I have. Yeah. And the scripture doesn't spend as much time with why suffering is here. Scripture tends to focus more on what are you going to do with it. And one of the most important things is that when God, the son came to earth, he entered into our suffering. He did not exempt himself from our suffering. He didn't, Jesus was not put in a palace. He was not put in a wealthy home where he might have some uh, distance from some of the problems of his world, though bad things can happen to folks in wealthy homes and bad things can happen to people in palaces. But the point I want to make is Jesus didn't try to exempt himself from the suffering. He entered into the suffering. And the, the key for that is God didn't set a different standard for himself when he came to earth as a human being. He entered in as a human being, dealing with the suffering like all other human beings. And in Jesus, we see the possibility of continuing to be holy and loving, even in the face of unimaginable pain that is undeserved. And so when we, you know, I know for us, you know, I've got a daughter who has, uh, has cerebral palsy. She'll always live with us. And, um, a syndrome called Turner syndrome. She does well. I mean, she does fine um, and is high functioning, but she will always live with us. She'll never be able to live on her own. And early on, we wrestled with all those questions of why this happened, why this happened, why is it, did I do, what did I do wrong? Why would you do it to her if, if it was for something I did? What, what, what's the deal? You know, I, I've been in ministry for God as long as I can remember. And so I asked all those questions, but what I had to stop doing was asking, I I just, for me, everybody's got to make their own decision. I had to to stop asking the question and Job healed me. I did a graduate course in Job one summer and 
walking through Job's story and especially coming to the end and realizing Job never knew. We know, you see, we get chapters one and two. Yeah. But there's no evidence Job ever got chapters one and two. So Job just, God just said, trust me and believe in me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, uh, and that helped me. Also, you know, one of the things we kind of act like the story of Job worked out okay. Well, he got new kids and new property. Like, oh, well, it's all okay now. Well, let me tell you, you can give me 15 children. But if you take away the two girls I have, my heart will hurt till I draw my last breath. Yeah. Okay. Job had to deal with the loss of those 10 children the rest of his life. But what he did was, as he said, God, his exact words, though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. I I believe that's in chapter 15. And for me, that's what I decided is I am going to quit asking why, and I'm just going to prove the devil wrong in my own life. Well, and I think, I think what you're getting at there, the idea of, you know, what do we do with what we have is, is absolutely critical to our, our spiritual walk, our spiritual life. Uh, I'm I'm reminded of second Corinthians three, uh, Second Corinthians chapter one, verses three through seven. You know, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation, and our hope for you is steadfast, because we know that as you are partakers of the suffering, so also you will partake of the consolation. When we suffer, you know, whether it's on a, on a small scale or it's on a large scale, we have, again, the choice to use that suffering to help others get through it or to let it destroy us. And I think the devil wants it to destroy us. And God wants us to use it to help others. And so go ahead. Your thought. (laughs) Okay. So just the, you know, the idea of evil pain and suffering is, has been touted as something that's, you know, obviously it is negative, right. But, but it doesn't have to be entirely negative. We can turn it and use it for good. I mean, just look at who God uses in, in throughout the scripture, right? Like he uses people that we wouldn't even bat a, bat an eyelash at. And so we have to be able and willing to at least try to use that in our lives, which has been bad, and turn it into good. And I think that really brings us full circle. We started talking about, um, uh, Kirk, you started talking about how this place isn't perfect, but God did make a perfect place. And we've had this conversation about suffering. And, and the thing that just has resounded with me is that the thing that matters is our response. The the thing that matters is what are we going to do? Are we going to to turn back to God or or, or not? And and that really it, it all comes down to faith. Just as Job didn't know why bad things happen, just as sometimes we don't know why bad things happen. We have to have faith that God is good all the time and all the time God is good. Mm-hmm. And 
And God even, even said that in chapter 38 of Job, God comes back and responds to Job. And I love it. It says that, that God answered him in a whirlwind and he goes on and, and basically says, who are you little man? <laughs> you, you don't know how things work. I know how things work. Have faith in me. And, and that's, that's the whole conversation about the, the sovereignty of God, the, the way that he created the earth, the earth with the laws that go into it. And when you really get this full picture and are able to wrap your mind around it, it's very humbling. You, you feel so much smaller when, when you realize God is sovereign over everything. And my job is to have faith in him. So I can be in a place that there is no suffering. So um, I'll give Kirk a chance to have some closing comments if you have anything. Um, but then we uh, will probably wrap this thing up. All right. Uh, yeah, I would just say as we come full circle, um, some folks are probably saying you, you guys really didn't talk about the coronavirus. <laughs> I would say a couple of things related to that and related to um, what has happened this past year. Uh, there have been a lot of things put out there for why coronavirus happened. At the end of the day, I don't know that I have the full answer. I am not prepared to say there's been a lot preached about God has done this to judge us. Well, God hasn't come and personally told me that. And so in light of that, I'm not prepared to say that. Um, we, we just need to be really careful about claiming to know why things happen when we don't. I think we need to make sure we are very compassionate in however we talk about it Mm -hmm. and that we recognize that there are people who are hurting and heartbroken in the middle of this who need to, as we're trying to wrestle with great theological truths, they need to know we hurt with them. And to me, I do not think coronavirus has been the worst evil of the last year. It has been how human beings treat each other. Mm-hmm. It has been churches that have divided over mask or no mask. It has been this vicious political cycle where we just rip each other apart and nobody can think anything differently than us. It is being reminded that after all of these years, we as a country are still bigoted and racist in so many circles. And that we we haven't figured out, I think the pain we've done to each other is far worse than the pain the virus has done to us. And I go back to the nature of God, holiness and love. Holy and loving people love people who think differently from them, who don't look like them, who who are willing to work through problems when they have disagreements in a loving manner, seeking to put the other first and honor God in the process. And so for me, that is the takeaway in all of this is I can't fix coronavirus, but I can do something about the racial injustice I see around me. I can do something about the inappropriate things in my own life. I can do something about the lack of love and unkindness that I see in my congregation, in my workplace. That's what I want to do. And then as I suffer, as I deal with whatever comes my way, whether it's pandemic or unkindness in the world, 
I just want to make sure that I'm like my God, mm-hmm. trying to be holy, and I'm trying to be loving. Amen. Well, Dr. Brothers, we really appreciate this conversation. Appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. Yeah. Um, I know you're very busy with your work there at uh, HCU, and um, and want to wish you all the best and and um, and everything that that is going on with Heritage. I know Heritage is very dear to us at Keller. Uh, Corey, our our pulpit minister, has deep roots there. Uh, Chris is taking classes with y'all as well, and and so we appreciate the work that you do there, and are so thankful uh, that you took the time to talk with us this morning. So well, love you guys, and uh, please say hello, and uh, Dylan, say hi to your family. And will uh, do. Them. Yeah, we appreciate it, um, Dylan. I'll go ahead and let you close it out, but I, I did want to say thank you again. We we are uh, very appreciative. Thanks, Chris. Well, uh, to our listeners, if y'all have any uh, comments or questions or want to join in this conversation, um, feel free to reach out to us. Our contact information will be played right now. Thank you so much for listening to the Bible Conversations podcast. I want to tell you about a couple of ways in which you can be involved or help us out. You can like us on Facebook and share our posts. You can send us an email at kcocbibleconversations at gmail.com. You can follow us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. You can even leave a review on Apple Podcasts. We're also partnering with Ministry League. This is a wonderful app full of so many different resources to help you grow your faith. We love you all. Now let's go start a conversation.